Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Glad you guys are here today. Welcome to the church. I am just trusting that at all of our campuses, they just experienced uh, the power and the intimacy of that moment of just calling out for Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. Welcome to the campuses. Speaking of those, we are glad you guys are over there in Garner, North Carolina, and the North Carolina Correctional Institute campus, and our Sanford campus, and our Latino campus, and our internet campus, and those of you in Columbia who are watching it these days. We love hearing from you guys as well. Welcome one, welcome all. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. While you're finding that, I just got to give praise and credit where credit is due. We had the most amazing group link night on Monday night that, uh, that I could ever have imagined. Let me give you some, uh, some interesting facts. Between Garner and Sanford alone, those two campuses had 122 people join life groups for the first time. They formed 18 new life groups in Garner and Sanford. At Central Campus, it was pure pandemonium right here. We had 320 people join a life group. 35 new life groups formed here at Central on Monday night. Listen, guys, that means that over 450 people joined life groups Monday night. 53 new life groups. Let me put that into perspective for you. That means more people joined a group on Monday night than were actually in a group a year ago. Unbelievable. Believable. So uh, way to go for those of you who got in a group. Way to go for those of you like I just couldn't do it this time. Listen, don't worry. Group link will come around at the end of the semester and we'll do it all again. But we have figured out how to get us engaged in life groups. It's basically semester-based, sermon-based. And so we love it. We're fired up. Uh, You ready for the word? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, let me just say this. Let me just say this too. Because I'm going, to be, I'm going to talk about some things in the beginning of Mark. But then where I'm going toward the end, I believe has the potential to shape and change the trajectory of your life. I'm actually going to be talking about that mysterious, profound, life-shattering reality that we see in Scripture as the calling Namely, the calling upon your life and the calling upon my life. And some of you are here and you've got that figured out. Way to go. Others of you are here you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Young people. I see some young people sitting here and you're, you're thinking like, what is that all about? I'm talking to you about the very thing that can shape the trajectory and the future of your very life. It is that mysterious moment when Jesus calls you to something. And we're going to talk about that today. But first of all, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read one verse, and then we'll talk about it. Okay? Mark 1. If you're ready for it, say amen. amen. Here we go. Ready? Go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, that was a warm-up. And I didn't even tell you that I really wanted you to read it with me. So you didn't know. But now you do. Are you ready? 
Let's go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I could preach an entire message on that. I'm not going to. I just have to say a few key words. The beginning of the what? Listen, guys, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion, including no religion. Christianity is about good news. Mark does this mysterious thing in, in Mark chapter 1. He, he uses this word that has great currency, if you will, in the day of Mark. It's euangelon. He uses this word and he takes the prefix of eu, which is you, which means joyful, and then angelos, which is news. And what he is saying here in Mark chapter 1, 1, is that this Christianity thing, this thing about Jesus is gospel good news to be received with joy. You say, well, what's that? What's so big deal about that? Here's what's a big deal about that. Every other religion in the world, every other religion, including no religion, likes to give us advice. Christianity is not advice. Come on now. Christianity is news. Christianity is gospel good news. It is not about advice. It is a declarative statement of who and what God has done for you. It is not based upon anything you do. It is based upon what God has done. Therefore, it is news and it is to be received with joy. Now, come on, come on. Like when you, how do you feel when you get advice? Well, it depends on who you get it from. You get advice, advice from your mother-in-law? Hmm. <laughs> Father-in-law? Hmm. Unless you got great in-laws like I do. You see how I just got out of that one? <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that? Um, but if you, if you, you know, when you get advice, even great advice from great people that you look up to, come on, is this not the reality? It, it can be inspirational, yes. But at the end of the day, advice is just advice, and it still has an element of burden to it. You still got to do something if you're going to take advantage of the advice. It, it, if you get advice to, to be a better husband, men, and Lord knows we need that from time to time, right? That's awesome. Or, or if, you, uh, if, you, if you, women, you get advice to be a better wife. I thought the guys would jump all over that, man. Or you get advice to be a better worker. Or you get advice from your trainer to train better. You get advice, you know, even when you get it, it can be inspirational. But listen, it still has an element of burden to it because you still have to do something for the advice and the effects of the advice to kick in. Nothing wrong with advice. I'm all about advice. But what I stopped by to tell you this morning is that Christianity is not advice. Christianity is good news that is to be received with great joy. It is not based upon anything you or I ever do. It is based upon what God Almighty has done. And it is joyful, joyful news. He is, he is the beginning of the good news of the gospel. It is so incredible. Now let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and those, this is for those of you who have your Bibles open, okay? This is not going to be on the screen. This is just the part about John. I'll get to the screen in a moment. So if you've got your Bibles open, verse 2. As it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness... 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now just stop right there for a moment. John the Baptist. Or as I like to refer to him, John the Baptizer. How many of you, and this is nothing for you to be ashamed about. I'm not, I, I think this is a, a, a pretty solid denomination. How many of you came from the Baptist church? Baptist church. Wow. Yeah, good many of you. Okay, so uh, this is why I ask because I, I need to clarify this. John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 <laughs> is not the beginning of the Baptist denomination. And some of you were told that growing up. Well, the Baptist church goes all the way back to John the Baptist. No, it doesn't. <laughs> the Baptist church started in the 16th century with John Smith and the separatist movement. And then in, in the early 19th century in Augusta, Georgia, the Southern Baptist church started in this country and became the largest Protestant denomination. Phenomenal denomination that's done a lot of great work. But it has nothing to do with this guy. It's not the oldest denomination. It's not the only biblical denomination. No, no, no. This is John the baptizer. And he liked to dunk people in the name of Jesus. He liked to baptize people. Have, but since we're talking about the Baptist church, let me, let me tell you a little story. <laughs> the other service did the same thing. The campuses might be chuckling too. Let me tell you a little story. There was a lady in England. And the lady in England decided that she wanted to visit the United States of America, particularly the southern part of the United States of America. And for some reason, she was fascinated with this thing that we have in the southern part of the United States. And I know we have it up north too, but campgrounds. She wanted to attend or actually visit and stay at a southern campground. I don't know why, but she did. And, but she had one concern, one phobia. She was worried about the, um, how might I say it, the bathrooms, the toilet facilities. And so she decided which campground she was going to stay in. And so she, she sent, this was back, not email, this was a letter. And she sent a letter to the manager of the campgrounds. And she said, I'm thinking about coming. I want to enjoy your campground. But I have some concern and I wanted to ask you about. And because she was very formal and before, because she was just kind of prim and proper, she didn't feel like she could say what they say in England, the bathroom commodes. So she said, I was wondering if you would tell me about your BC, your bathroom commodes. And so the manager was stumped and he couldn't quite figure out what in the world she was talking about. And finally, he figured it out. And so he wrote to the manager. He said this, dear madam, I regret very much in the delay in answering, but I can inform you that the BC, she thought the bathroom commodes. He's talking about the Baptist church. The BC is located... <laughs> Nine miles north of us. <laughs> and capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit that it is quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> but no doubt you will be pleased that a great number of people take their lunches along and they make the day of it. <laughs> the last time my wife and I went, <laughs> the last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded that we had to stand up the whole time. <laughs> he says this, uh, a supper to raise money to buy more seats is planned in the basement of the BC. And then the manager ends with this. I would like to say that it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly. 
but it is surely no lack of desire. Oh, God bless us, right? Nothing like laughing, amen? amen. So John the Baptist comes along. He, he wears this interesting outfit, camel's hair. He, he has this interesting diet, honey and wild locusts. And, but he comes along, and, and now go back to verse 7. And look at this. Let's read it out loud together. Verse 7. Ready? Go. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist comes right out of the gate, and in Mark chapter 1, he basically says, listen, this gospel, this good news that is to be received with great joy is all about Jesus. And I must therefore decrease. Love John the baptizer. He's basically letting us know from moment one. Listen, this faith, it wasn't about John. And I got news for you. It's not about you either. Some of you are like, darn, I thought it was all about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. If you go into my office right now and you, right as you get to the doorway, if you were to just rip the carpet off the floor, please don't do this, but if you were, you would find the words of John in Luke's gospel. Mark doesn't tell it like this, but Luke does. You will find the words in Luke's gospel where John the baptizer says, I must decrease and he must increase. I must become great. He must become great and I must become Less. This was the night when we wrote scriptures all over this building before we actually laid the carpet down. And this was the verse that I wanted on the entrance of my office. Because listen, guys, what it means to tap into the calling of God, which like I said, that's where we're going today. What it means to tap into the calling of God actually means that my life is on a journey where it becomes less and less and less about me and more and more and more about Jesus. That is what the gospel is all about. Look at verse 12. Go down to verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days. That's a long time to be in the wilderness. But look at what is going on in the wilderness. This is, this is Jesus. He was with wild animals and the angels attended him. Now, guys, isn't it interesting? Come on. Isn't it interesting that in Mark's gospel, as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, he's baptized by John, and as soon as he comes off that mountaintop experience, Satan drives him into the wilderness where he's tempted, he's attacked, over and over and over and over again, not for a day, but for 40 days. Now, you can go back and read the, the rest of the text on your own, but when Jesus came up out of the water, scholars say that they call it a theophany, but just read the words of Scripture. See here in Mark 1, when he came up out of the water, a voice thundered from heaven from the Father that said, this is my son in whom I'm what? Well, please. Now, come on, come on. Jesus stepping into his ministry, 
stepping on the platform of saving human history. He gets baptized. The Spirit of God shows up. And lo and behold, right after that, he is sent into the wilderness where he is tempted and attacked by Satan. I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in that for a couple reasons. Here's why. Number one, I love the fact that we serve a God who is not insulated or immune from the hardships and the aches and the pains and the temptations and the attacks that you and I experience on a regular basis. Isn't that good? Like if God, if, if the Lord that we serve had not experienced that, guys, I don't know that I would feel like he could connect with me in my heartaches. Are you with me? The second thing it also reminds me is this. If Jesus went through heartaches and challenges and attacks and temptations, who are we to think that we're not going to go through the same thing? And I don't know about you, but listen, just this, this season that we're in, I find great comfort in that. I find great comfort in the fact that, listen, when a church or a person lifts high the name of Jesus Christ, when a church or a person goes public, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, goes public on pushing back the darkness, when a church or a person, you in your own individual life, you decide that you're going to follow Jesus regardless, and you're not going to back down, and you're not going to be a coward about it, and you're going to go take territory for Christ. Because, listen, guys, in the world, kingdoms are clashing. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of dark and they are clashing. And when an individual or a church decides, you know what? We're taking territory for Christ. Listen. The enemy will come at you wide open. And so if I can just unpack that from another angle. Listen, believer. If you're here and your life is smooth sailing... Well, let me look into the camera. If you're a pastor somewhere and you're pastoring a church and you never have attacks, you never have challenges, you never have obstacles, I highly recommend that you do a thorough examination of your ministry or your life. Like, I'm not one of those who begs for this kind of stuff. I don't like it. But it is a clear sign to me, listen, we have hacked the enemy off. We have hacked the enemy off. Off. We are taking territory for Jesus Christ and he is not happy about it. We are seeing souls saved, lives changed, and he is hacked off. And when a person or a church does that, you better get ready and you better put around you, as Ephesians 6, 4 says, the belt, the buckle of truth. You better gird yourself in the word of God because, listen, the battle is on and he will come at you. And here's the other very, very important thing to, to, to know about this. Listen, guys, the battle, the battle is won tomorrow based upon how you get ready for the battle today. Amen. Oh, 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 oh. Listen to me, listen to me. I, re- I read an article in National Geographic about the Alaskan moose. And I didn't know this. I, I, I know white-tailed deer because I'm from the south. And I know white-tailed deer. But in, in, in Alaska, the moose actually fight like white-tailed bucks do. But, and I don't know if they're fighting over the does, but around here, you know, bucks fight for does. But I was reading this National Geographical article, and they showed how moose fight. And I want to show you. Let me, let me take a minute of your time. I want to show you a video of this. This is a trip. And then I'm going to make a very clear point about this. Watch this. Watch this. This is in a neighborhood, guys. Come on now. 
Now watch this. He says, I've had enough of that. He says, see ya. I don't want any more of that. Now, now here, was the, here was the interesting fact that the article made. And that just, it just stopped me in my tracks because I'm a pastor and I made the connection to you and I living out this Christian life that we have. The moose, when they fight, they fight in the fall. But the article spent time talking about the way in which in the summer it's determined who's going to win the battle in the fall. They say in the summer, depending upon how the moose eats, the diet, the mass that the moose puts on, the thickness of the horns, which by the way always comes down to the diet of a deer or a moose, always comes down to what they eat. The, the writer was letting us know that, that the battle in the fall, follow me, is won in the summer based upon... How the moose ate and received digestion. Now listen. The battles that you will fight tomorrow. This is so, so key. The battles that you will fight tomorrow. The battles that you will fight next month. Six months from now. A year from now. Because listen, they're coming. If you're a follower of Christ. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. But if you are going to follow Jesus. You are going to have the same kind of temptations and attacks. That Jesus had in Mark chapter 1. But here's what so many people don't realize. The battles that you will get tomorrow. And in the future are won today. They are won today. Based upon. Whether or not you are following Christ, becoming a person of his word, what's very, very interesting. Again, Mark doesn't include it, but the other gospel does. When Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan comes and attempts him three times. Who knows what Jesus did in the face of the temptation? He quoted scripture. All three times, Jesus basically kicks Satan in the teeth. By quoting scripture. Those of you who are reading with me through the New Testament. Those of you who are praying. Are you still praying at 714? Morning people you praying at 714 in the morning? Second Chronicles 714? Evening people you got us covered in the evening? Huh? Listen, listen. As you read, as you pray. As you take in spiritual nutrition. Follow me. You are being prepared for the battles that will come tomorrow. Amen. And here's the classic mistake. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. When we're, when we're feasting upon the word or when we're praying or when we're trying to be dis disciplined and discipled in the word of the Lord. Because we don't have the battles going on today. Say you're in a good season. And because you don't have the battles going on today. Listen, many people stop. Stop feeding on the word. They stop praying. They stop following Jesus and what they don't realize is that will not hurt them today. Come on church. That will hurt you tomorrow or six months from now when the battles come your way. So in a very real sense, beloved, we will win the battles today based upon how we have followed Jesus yesterday. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. You need to file that one away, beloved. File that one away. You're getting ready today. For the battles that will come your way tomorrow.
And based upon how you live out your todays, it's clearly responsible for how you will win or not the battles tomorrow. Now let's get to the calling. I've been telling you that we're going to get to the calling today. And I love talking about the calling. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to just basically read three passages in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And then I'm going to spend my remaining time today talking about calling. Here it is, Mark 1, 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There it is. Good news, not advice. Good news. That's to be received with joy. Okay? Good news of God. Verse 15. The time has come, he said, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good advice. No? Repent and believe the good news. Now we're about to go into calling, but I just can't, can't leave this without saying this. Repent. To repent means that you actually turn and you leave something to follow him. Repentance of sin means that when I actually come before God contrite in my brokenness and my sin, it's more than just saying, God, forgive me. It's actually saying, God, forgive me. I repent and I turn from that particular sin and I follow you. Now watch what Jesus does. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were what? There it is. Only biblical sport you find in scriptures right there. Come. Here it is. Here it is. Come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, when? At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they they left. And they left their what? Oh, don't miss this. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. I'm going to try to talk to you about a very significant subject today. And so I, I want you to grab, grab a pen. If you're not a note taker, please think about taking notes during this time right here. Because, guys, this is what will set the trajectory of your life. And if I find anything as I minister amongst people today, I actually find that there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are just kind of wandering aimlessly in life. God has never called you to wander aimlessly, beloved. God has called you to follow faithfully. And I want to talk to you, I want to try to talk to you about this profound, mysterious thing in the scriptures called the calling. The calling from God upon your life. Here's the first thing you need to know about the calling. The calling of God upon your life is personal. It's personal. What I mean by that is God calling upon your life is different than God's calling upon your spouse's life, upon your child's life, upon your colleague's life. The calling of God is always personal. 
I don't know if you've ever wrestled with this, but here's the deal. God has uniquely created you. There's only one of you. And if you don't be you, nobody else can. Some of us live our lives trying to imitate others. God's given you a unique spiritual fingerprint, if you will. He has a unique purpose for your life. And once you lock into it, it's enough to take your breath away. It's the one thing that will get you up out of the bed in the morning. It's the one thing that will give you ultimate fulfillment in your life. And without it, I just got to say this before I move to the next thing. Without it, listen, without it, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll spend all the days of your life as if you're trying to fill this void inside your soul. And the way you fill that void inside your soul is you press into God and you let the Spirit of God minister to you. And I'll talk to you later on about how to exactly do that. I'll give you two questions to ask yourself that will actually help you figure that out. But you don't rest until you find out and you discover what the call of God is upon your life. It might be to be a stay-home mom for a season or a stay-home dad. It might be to start a business where your business is a platform for Christ. It may be to, to go to school at a certain... Calls come in seasons. But the call is always personal. Here's the second thing. The calling of God upon your life is public. Oh, my lanta. See, the reason some of you have never really stepped into the thrill and the fulfillment of what it means to live out your calling from God is that you are ashamed of the gospel. You show up here on Sunday mornings and you're okay because you're around a bunch of Christians. But on Friday night, when you're out with your buds, you never even in your wildest dreams imagine lifting out publicly, high above all, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, King of Kings. The calling of God. Listen, God never calls you to anything that's private. He works in your life in private. But the calling always takes on a public platform. This is why I often have to say no when people call me. And they say, hey, pastor, I want to get baptized. Will you come to my house and baptize me? Now, number one, that's a little weird. That's a little weird. I was at somebody's house one time, and I wasn't there because they called. I was just there visiting. And they said, would you baptize me? I, and I, I wasn't going to do it. But I said, like, in what? They said, the bathtub. That's weird. That's weird. So if you ever ask me that, let me go and tell you the answer. The answer is N-O, No. That's why we build a beautiful baptistry out there. Baptism is public. Guys, do you know in, in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before people on earth, my Father will acknowledge them. But if you disown me before people on earth, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. I talked about repentance a moment ago. You know what some of you need to do? And I just feel led to say this. This is, this is for some of you. Some of you need to repent of being ashamed of the gospel. Some of you need to repent of being ashamed of identifying with Christ in the public arena. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation unto men. Some of you need to just get over that, beloved. 
Quit being timid in your faith. Be public. And the calling of God is always public upon our lives. If you receive it, say amen. Here's the the next thing. The calling of God upon your life involves people. Some of you are like, dude, you lost me right there. I don't like people. (laughs) No joke. I had a pastor tell me one time, he goes, I love the ministry. It's just the people I can't stand. I'm like, dude, you are going to have a hard time in ministry because ministry is people. The calling of God, listen, upon your life will always involve the building up, the edification, the betterment, if you will, of people. It's just the way God moves. God loves and cares for people. And therefore, those who follow him love and care for people. You say, give me a verse. We just read it earlier, but I'll repeat it. Verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Now watch this. Watch how Jesus connects it to the vocation of catching people. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The calling of God always deals with people. And let me just say this, because some of you are here and you're like, well, I'm not good with people. And I get that. I understand that. I understand that. Here's another thing that I think some of you came today to hear. Fulfilling God's calling upon your life is not about your ability as much as it is about your availability. Oh, my Lord, did you get that? Did you, did you, did you get that? Some of you have never really stepped out to follow God's calling upon your life because you don't think you're able God doesn't care if you're able. God wants you available. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So some of you need to overcome your fear of failure or your fear of incompetency and say, God, I don't feel like I'm able, but guess what? I am available. And God always chooses those who are available over those who are able. We have a sermon research team at this church, and they, they, they help me, and they give me stuff, and I just love them. I'm so thankful for them. We just launched it again. It's been closed. It's been off for about two years. But one of, the, one of the persons who gave me some stuff this week shared how in her own life, when she was in high school, she was auditioning for a play. And the director of the play, the very first day, all the people were in there ready to audition, and the director of the play said, okay, here are the dates. Boom, 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 boom. Here are the dates, all of our rehearsals. If you can't be at the rehearsals, you can go ahead and leave now. I thought, there it is. You see, that director understood that availability is far more important than ability. And the person who turned the research in said, that was a good thing for me because I wasn't the most able, but I was available. God's calling upon your life involves people. Here's the last thing. The calling of God upon your life is about priority. It's about priority, church. Listen. This is kind of related to the all-in series we just came out of. 
Jesus will have all of you or he'll have none of you. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus' calling upon your life will take second or second seat or back seat to nothing. Jesus' calling upon your life can never be a back burner issue. It has to be your priority. You have to settle in your spirit today. Or at some point in time, if you're ever going to tap into the calling of God, you have to settle in your spirit. Will it take priority? Will it take precedence over everything? Have you ever stopped to think about, what did those fishermen give up? That group that he gathered around him, what did they give up to follow him? Well, they left their fishing buddies. That's a big deal for fishermen. I'm here to tell you from firsthand experience, listen, if you're going to follow the calling of God upon your life, there will be times when you have to change your playmates. If you're going to follow the calling of God upon your life, there are times when you've got to change your playground. Some of you, the very thing that is keeping you back from following the call upon your life are the places you go and the people you hang with. You need to repent of that tonight. Put Jesus Christ front and center and follow him. They left their personal pleasure. Like those of you who raised your hand earlier, fishermen, man, I love to fish. I know some of you don't understand. They're like, how do you enjoy that? You know? No, I love, I love it. They had to leave their pleasure. They left their vocations. Like we think about it just from a pleasure perspective, but what you got to understand is this was their vocation. This is how they made their living. Fish from the Sea of Galilee were some of the most important prized fish in the area, the whole Mediterranean area. They shipped them to Rome. This is how these guys made a living. And Jesus said, Come follow me now. Am I telling you God's calling you to leave your vocation? No. But maybe. If he's not calling you to leave your vocation, I can promise you he wants to use your vocation. They left their huts and their dwelling places. Think about it. Jesus was asking them to come on the road. We're going nomadic, baby. We're traveling from village to village to village, preaching the gospel. Come follow me. Here's a big one. Oh, my Lord, I've, I've so lived this out in my life. It's been so hard. But I can tell you that I'm so thankful I have. They left their families. Now, for those of you who are pro-family, so am I. Is there ever a doubt that, that this old boy doesn't love his wife and his kids? But do you know that there is a clear tenet running throughout the Scripture that it's very, very clear and challenging for those Americans, you know, pro-family. We're all pro-family in America, right? Right, right? I know we're losing some of that in our culture, unfortunately. 
But scripture makes it clear that for the believers in Christ, your church family, come on, takes precedence and priority over your blood family. Do you know that there are places in scripture where Jesus says that I'm calling you to leave your family? There's even some verses, like I believe in showing you the whole counsel of God, so I'm never going to hide anything from you. Do you know there's some, some verses in the New Testament where Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple? Now, moment of honest confession. Am I the only one? Is there anybody in here who that like bothers? It bothers me. Is Jesus actually telling us to hate our moms and our dad? I don't think so because you have to read the whole scripture. And there are lots of other verses in scripture where it talks about honoring your parents. Are you with me? But it's clear that Jesus is saying, hey, comparatively speaking, my calling, my gospel, my purpose for your life takes priority and precedence over every single thing, including family. Repeat after me. All of our campuses, repeat after me. I cannot stay where I am and go with God. Repeat after me. Now, don't say it with me. Repeat after me. This is what the other crowd just said it with me. But just repeat it after me one more time. I cannot stay where I am and go with God. And often when he calls me to go, often when he calls me to to do something for him. It means making adjustments in my life. And that's the one thing that has prevented some of you from stepping into greatness of God's calling. You've never settled in your spirit. Listen, I'm willing to make adjustments for the call of God upon my life. I'm willing to sacrifice for the call of of God upon my life. Speaking of sacrifice, C.T. Studd, he says this, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to give to him. Let, let Let that just settle with you for a moment. If Jesus Christ be God, no sacrifice is too great for me to give to him. Have you ever settled in your spirit? Whatever the cost. Whatever the sacrifice. Friendships. Money. Playgrounds. Playmates. Some family members. Vocations. Or parts of a vocation. Whatever the cost, I'm going to follow Jesus. Have you ever settled that? Because if you have not, you will never, no, never tap into the greatness of God's unique, personal, public calling upon your life and therefore you will never be ultimately fulfilled in your soul adjustments Noah could not continue life as usual and build an ark 
Abram could not stay in Ur and father a nation in Canaan. Moses could not stay on the backside of the desert herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh. David had to leave his sheep to become a king. Amos had to leave the sycamore trees to preach in Israel. Jonah had to leave his home and overcome a major prejudice in order to preach in Nineveh. Matthew had to leave the tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. Saul had to radically change his entire life and become Paul to follow the call upon his life. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their nets to follow Jesus. What's the call upon your life? And some of you are like, I don't know. I know. I know. Some of you are like, if I just knew what it was, then I'd do I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. So I got good news and I got bad news. Let me give you the bad news first. I, I can't help you figure that out. Because it's personal. It's between you and God. I can't help you. I can preach and in the midst of this and in the midst of you being a part of this church, you can discover it. I'm certain of that. And some of you are on that journey. Way to go. But I can't say, hey, the call of God upon your life is X, Y, Z. I can't do that. But I can give you a little tool that I've used in my own life. And I think it's very, very helpful. It's asking two questions. Two questions. Here's the first one. What is it that I just love to do? Like, like what is it that you, when you do it, you feel the wind of God in your cells. What is it that, that when you do it, you have this sense for which I was made for this? Because I believe, listen, I believe the call of God upon your life will be something that you enjoy. I know that not everybody believes that. You listen to some Christians and you think, you know, what you really need to do your whole life is just take upon flagellation, beat yourself up, life stinks, hang your head down, turn into Eeyore, and that'll be your calling. Get you some of that. Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So, so, so I think that God's calling upon your life is something that once you tap into it and once you experience it, it'll be the joy of your life. I mean, imagine this, guys. I read the statistics. I know so many of you, you hate your job. You hate your job. Number one, thank God you got a job in this economy. Amen? But come on, come on. Can you imagine once you tap into the calling of God upon your life, you can actually get up every day of your life and love what you do. Imagine that. You can get up and you can't wait to get to work when it falls under the calling of God. So ask yourself, what is it that I really like to do? Here's the second question. What in the world or, or what does people need the most? What work in the world or what work amongst people most needs to be done? So, so what I've given you is two questions, questions for you to ask. What is it that I love to do? And how can that love intersect with the world's greatest needs? 
And if you can ever just find that intersection of what you love to do, what you're gifted to do, what God is calling you to do, if you can ever find where that intersects with the world's need, i.e. people's need, oh, baby, you, you, you found your calling. You found your calling. So if you just, if you just unpack that and, and think about that for just a moment. If we really get a kick out of the work, we've probably met requirement A. But if, if that work is writing television scripts for a deodorant commercial, you probably haven't met requirement B. Unless you understand that that workplace is your platform for Christ. On the other hand, if, if you go to a foreign mission field and you work in an orphanage, which is a beautiful godly thing to do, but you're miserable and you're bored to death and there's no fulfillment in your life, you've probably met requirement number two, but you haven't met requirement number one. Frederick Beekner says it better than I could ever say it. He says this, the place God calls us to is the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That's a good one. Uh, jot that one down. Marinate on that one in your quiet time. The place God calls me is the place where my deepest gladness and joy and fulfillment and the world's deepest hunger meet. So what's your calling? I see a lot of married people here sitting beside each other. What's the calling of God upon your marriage? Single person, what's the calling of God upon your singleness? Young person in college, what's the calling of God at this season in your life? You can discover this. And you'll never be fulfilled until you do. And listen, some of you probably already know you're just afraid to jump. You're just afraid to take a step. Fear and timidity is one of the greatest things the enemy uses to keep you off track of your calling. Straighten your backbone. Look into the gospel of Jesus Christ and where you think he is leading you. Take a step. Jump. If it's not his will, beloved, he is God. He will slam the door shut. Come on. I took my wife to a chick flick on Valentine's. Because I'm a nice guy like that. <laughs> hey, guys, check it out. Dudes, just you and me, dudes. If, if your wife wants to go to a chick flick, I got a good one for you. Okay, I know we don't like chick flicks. Ladies, you don't know how hard it is for us to do the whole chick flick thing. But this is a good one because this, this chick flick's got some suspense to it, man. And if, if you like to sink your toes in the Carolina coast, if, you're, if you just love the beach, man, this, this movie was filmed at Southport in North Carolina. It's called Safe Haven. Great movie. It's a great chick flick. Uh, as, I, as I walked out, I was like, honey, I, I don't even think I heard a single cuss word. Not a single cuss word in the whole movie. How cool is that? There's one steamy scene, one steamy scene. But that's all right, because I'm a married man, and that was all good. It's all good. Good chick flick, guys, seriously. Take, take, take you later to Safe Haven. Great, great, great movie. 
I'm not going to give the movie away, but at the end of the movie, there's this scene where the sweet little girl, Alexi, is, uh, is, is, is right on the edge of jumping into the arms of her dad. And her dad is saying, come on, Alexi, come on, you can do it, you can do it, jump, 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 jump. And, and as I'm watching it, I kept experiencing the movie, but I don't know, man. I just started thinking back to, my, to, to the days when my kids were little. And like, I remember teaching them how to jump off the side of the pool into daddy's arms. And I just sat there and I just kind of reflected on the different times where I was in the pool and my kids, they were right up on the edge of the pool. And I say, come on, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, jump, you can do it, come on. And I go, one, two. And if you, those of you parents, you know this, they, 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 just, they just can't quite do it. And you, you beg some more, come on, you can do it, daddy. Trust me. Trust your daddy. Jump. Just jump. Come on. Come on. One, two. And then finally, I just, I just started remembering with each of my children, finally that, that time when they, they mustered up the courage and the trust to jump out into my arms. And I called them, and, and then they immediately said, Do it again, daddy. Do it again. Do it again, daddy. And then I remember when, when after they did that a little bit while, then when I was teaching them how to swim, I'd be walking around the pool with them and trying to kind of let them swim, and they got the death grip on your neck, you know? <laughs> Some of you are like a little child, and you're stuck. You're stuck in a rut. Do you know what a rut is? Have I ever told you what a rut is? A rut is a casket just with the ends kicked out. Some of you are in a rut. And you sense what the next step is. But you're worried about your ability and God wants your availability. You're worried about seeing all the way down the road and God says, don't worry about that. You just take the next step. And your father is calling you to jump. And that calling is personal. And it's to be used in a public arena to influence people for Christ, which is the only thing that makes a difference in the world. And it's priority. And he's saying, jump, and you've just, you've just never jumped. I'm calling you to jump today. You say, well, I don't, I don't see it all. I don't, I, don't, I don't see it all with great clarity. I... You never will. If you saw it all with great clarity, beloved, it wouldn't be faith. So I've asked Pastor Fuller to do another song. <laughs> this is old school, baby. I can, remember, I can remember singing this as a student pastor in the early 1990s. But it's a perfect song for this moment right here, right now. Maybe you remembered, I have decided. We're going to do it kind of similar to the way we did the, the earlier song. And it's going to be led at the campuses as well. So your worship leaders are going to do the very same thing at our campuses. Do you remember the lyrics? I have decided to follow Jesus. And we sing that three times. And then it ends with this, no turning back. No turning back. I love verse 3. It's my favorite verse of the entire song. The world behind me, the cross before me. Mm. No turning back. No turning back. Final verse goes like this. Though none go with me. Have you ever 
come to that kind of resolve? Though no one go with me, still I'll follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. At all of our campuses, I want us to pray together and then have a powerful moment of worship. And I'm going to ask the campuses to do what we've been doing here. I'm going to ask you just to stay seated when we get into that, unless you just can't contain yourself. I'm not asking you to stay seated for the whole song. Hear me closely. I'm asking you to stand if you're able to sing that song with integrity. In other words, I'm calling you to a commitment. Jesus Christ has come by and he said, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of people. Drop your nets, drop your stuff, follow me. And if you're here today at any of our campuses and you'd say, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Then you stand to your feet and you sing to the top of your lungs. If you're here and you're not ready for that or you're like, I am not going to do that for I just thought I was going to stop by and go to church somewhere. That dude's calling me to a life change. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Just stay seated. Just, just stay seated. You keep coming. Warning, he'll get you. I promise you. He'll hunt you down like the hound from heaven. He will get you. But this is for those who would say, you know what? Truly, really, I have decided to follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for the call. God, I don't know where I'd be without the call. God, I thank you for every single person that is here today for those who are just gripped with the thought of discovering their call would you speak to them right now Father would you minister to them would you bless them would you lead them would you give them the courage God I can only think of the fear that the fishermen must have felt that day the same fear that's gripping people in here today and, and at our campuses and those in front of their televisions or their computer screens but Father, like a little child who's ready to jump into the arms of his or her dad, would we be like little children today? And would we jump into the everlasting arms of our Father? And would we declare? And would we do more than declare? Would we actually move in the direction that you're calling us, trusting you to reveal to us the plan as it is needed? But we have decided to follow you. And for that, we are so grateful. Now use us. For there is no turning back.
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.